Tonight we're going to pick right back up in our study, Why a Baptist. I will tell you personally, I uh, enjoy this study. In it, I'm reminded of things I often do not think about. Uh, there are things that we just assume or things that we just move along, and I'm, I'm thankful for the reminders we go through this study. Uh, as, I, as I have said, with the goal to be a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ, uh, I'm sure glad to be a Baptist. Now, it's kind of a weird thing. Uh, we're not going through this trying to recruit new Baptists or make Baptists out of folks uh, that are not Baptists. But as a person uh, with the goal to be a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ, uh, I can tell you as we go through this study uh, over and over again, I am sure glad that I am a Baptist follower of Jesus Christ. We are in a section looking at uh, what are called Baptist distinctives. Or really, these are unifying truths that Baptists hold as our core beliefs. Very simply, if you were to ask somebody, uh, what does it mean to be a Baptist? Or if you were to say, I am a Baptist, these are the things that define us. These are the things that we hold as true. And so if you were to say, what makes you a Baptist? Uh, these are those core things. And so these are the Baptist distinctives. Um, so far, we've looked at the first one. Uh, the first one is our Bible. Uh, as Baptists, we believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God. Each of those words are loaded with meaning. Uh, we believe that it comes from God. We believe that it has no error in it. And we believe it holds the authority of God speaking uh, in our life. As Baptists, we believe the Bible is our authority uh, in all things of life and of faith and of practice. Very plainly, as Baptists, uh, we go to the Bible, we turn to the Bible, we submit to the Bible the Word of God, uh, God's own Word. Uh, let me add to that, I've been noticing it, and I've been noticing it for years, uh, but it seems the last year, the last two years, uh, it seems to be more frequent in my view, and that is this, if you start to fudge on any of those things, if you start to compromise on any of those things, uh, just a piece of them, uh, it's not long until the whole thing starts to collapse. And so if you find a church or if you find a pastor or a person and they say, well, I believe this much about the Bible, but maybe there are some errors in it. Or maybe it's not the word of God, it's the word of Paul or of men. Uh, you start to fudge in any area and it's not going to be long until the whole thing collapses. So that is the first Baptist distinctive. Last week, we looked at what is the second Baptist distinctive, and that is the priesthood of the believer, including the idea of soul freedom or soul competency. Uh, this is the belief, listen very carefully, this is the belief that all believers have equal access to God, that all believer, believers have equal footing before God, nobody's better than anybody else, and therefore, all believers bear equal responsibility to God. Uh, I want you to hear that again. Uh, we believe all people, all believers, have equal access to God. There's nobody we have to go to. There's no priest that we're having to go through. We believe that all believers have equal footing before God. There's not any living person uh, that has a better standing before God than any of us, each of us do, as followers of Christ. And therefore, each of us individually bear responsibility to God. And so it's not 
enough for my parents to do it or my spouse to do it or, or maybe my lineage or somebody I belong to. It is my responsibility uh, to seek out and to walk in God's will. Uh, Jesus alone is our priest. He is our advocate. He is our mediator. He is our go-between. And there is no human agency that we look to. And so there's no person that has a better standing with God that we have to go seek out uh, for our relationship with God. And so that was the second Baptist distinctive. That brings us now tonight to the third Baptist distinctive. And that is the autonomy of the local church. The autonomy of the local church. The word autonomous, it comes from two Greek words. Uh, one of them means self, and the other means law. Uh, when you put those two words together, autonomous, it means self-governed or self-directed. Uh, so what that means is Baptists hold that the individual local church and each local church governs itself. Let me say that again. We believe each local church governs itself. I found this statement. It's interesting kind of going back and see what others have said in our history. Uh, I found this statement from 1840. It says this, each church is forever free and independent of any and every ecclesiastical power formed by men on earth, each being the free household of God. That is and that has been, continues to be a Baptist belief. For Baptists, there is no human authority over the church. Now, where do we get that? Why do we have that idea? As a Baptist, we believe there is no human authority uh, over the church. We get that from Scripture, of course. Uh, our belief is this, and I believe it's the, the truth of Scripture. Only Jesus is the head of the church. Only Jesus is the head of the church. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says, He, speaking of Jesus, is also head of the body, of the church. We are the body is the church. Jesus is the head. Now, that is repeated uh, in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 uh, through 33, that section restates it and says the same thing. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the Lord of the church. We get that from God's Word. Now, not only is that the truth uh, that we believe that God has established for us, but it's also the pattern that we see in Scripture. It's also the pattern uh, of the New Testament. Now, if you look at the New Testament Scripture, we will see, you will see, there are many individual Christian churches. Uh, there are the individual churches of Southern Galatia. Uh, the letter to the Galatians, it is written to these uh, churches of Southern Galatia. Uh, there is the church, a specific church in Jerusalem. There's the church at Rome, a specific church in Rome. Remember, Paul goes to the city of Thessalonica. He preaches the gospel there. They receive the gospel. When he leaves, there is a functioning, practicing church in Thessalonica. All the way through Paul's epistles, we see that. There are individual, local, practicing churches. All the way through the book of Acts, we see as the gospel spreads, as they are making these missionary journeys, 
Now, they are establishing local, individual, Christian churches. Now, I think that is no clearer than in the book of Revelation. Now, if you think about it, we just went through this, I think, about a month or two ago. Uh, we went through the letters written to the churches in the book of Revelation. Well, uh, there's a lot to be learned just from that. If you think about that, uh, there are these specific churches. Now, I want you to think about each of those churches. There's the church at Ephesus, and it has its own situation, and it has its own pastor. Do you see that? Uh, and it also has its own message. And so there's this specific church. It is a local church. It has its own situation going on. Uh, it has its own opportunities. It has its own pastor. And so therefore, it receives its own message. You go down the line. There's the church at Smyrna. It has its own situation. It has its own pastor. And so therefore, it gets its own message. The church at Pergamon, its own situation, its own happenings, its own pastor, it also gets its own message. Go down the list. Thyatira, the same way. Sardis, the same way. Philadelphia, the same way. Laodicea, the same way. Understand that right there in that account, those are individual, separate, specific, local Christian churches. And so you take all that together. Jesus is the head of the church. You take the pattern that's told to us in the epistles of Paul in the, in the uh, account, the historic account of Acts and there in the book of Revelation. And we believe as Baptists that is the pattern, the example of Scripture. Now, I think this is very interesting. Now, I always wonder who's going to hear this and maybe who's going to take exception to what we're saying. Uh, but I think it is very interesting as far as Christian denominations go, uh, church autonomy is practiced by a small, and I'll just say this, an actually very small percentage of churches. And so you talk about the Methodist church, the Lutheran church, the Assemblies of God, go down the list, all these churches, church autonomy, what I've just described to you is actually practiced in a very, very a small percentage of churches. Most do not practice church autonomy. So what does that mean? That's what we believe the Scripture shows us. That's what we believe we see in the pattern of the church in Scripture. So what does that mean for Baptists? Let me tell you a few things that it means. Uh, first thing is this. There is no hierarchy above this church for us as a Baptist church. There's no hierarchy for this church. There is no pope for this church. There are no dioceses for this church. There is no council of churches. There is no council of bishops. There is no synod. There is no general council. There is no general overseer. There is no general board. There is no general assembly. Now, those come from all the other denominations I can think of. That's how their churches are run, with those groups overseeing the local churches. For us, there is Jesus, and then there's the local church. That's what we believe is Baptist. There is Jesus, and there is the local church. Here's what we believe. Now, this is a pretty awesome thing when you think about it. Here we are, Yucca Lane, Vernon, Texas, uh, older folks, younger folks, uh, some folks have been coming for, for 50, 60 years. Some are new. 
Here we are. Here we are in this church. Here's a pretty awesome thing to think about. So from what we believe, from what we are saying, that means this. God establishes the local church. God knows and sees, cares about each local church. From that letter in Revelation, he knew what was happening in those churches. Listen, here we are in the middle of nowhere in Vernon, Texas. He knows and he sees and he cares about each church. He empowers each church. He directs each church. He uses each church as he sees fit for his glory and for his purpose. Now, I think about that. There's a church on the same block. There's a church on this block. There's two churches back here on these, these separate blocks. You go across our town, there's a whole lot of churches. You know what? God directs each one, establishes each one, and he has a purpose and a mission for each of those churches. It is for his purpose. They are for his purpose and his glory. That means each church is a local congregation. Here's what we believe of baptized believers. Now, let me explain that. We believe each church is a local congregation of baptized believers. Now, the word for church in the Greek is the word ecclesia. It is a word that means gathering or assembly. And, and so what that means is um, a church is a group that comes together. A church is a group that fellowships together, serves together, carries out the ministry of Jesus Christ together. I always think it's interesting. Uh, here we have a church, and then there's folks that are not participating in the church. They've disappeared from the church. Uh, we have to write them cards and say, hey, remember, you do have a church. Uh, listen, the church is the assembly, the congregation, the gathering of local baptized believers. Now, what that means, it has, it has some very clear distinctions. You have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You have to understand, understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are sinners, that Christ has come, lived a perfect life, died in our place, stands as the risen Lamb of God, and we trust in him as our Savior. So it means you are a believer, and it also means you are then baptized into church membership. Uh, that's how you belong to this church. You are baptized into church membership. You trust in Christ. This is a testifying to your trust in Christ. Uh, it is by immersion, according to the New Testament. It is always after our salvation and not part of our salvation. So the ecclesia is a gathering, a congregation of followers of Jesus Christ who have trusted the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and who have been baptized to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I testify to it and I am baptized into this local church. Then, here's what that does. There's an outflow from there. Then, that local congregation of Holy Spirit-filled believers. Now, see how all these things are tying together. And nobody has a better position than anybody else. No one has a better footing with God than anybody else. There's no priest that we have to go to. We're all on equal footing. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And so that congregation of baptized believers selects its own pastor. Nobody tells us, hey, this is who you get, and you get them for this many years. They're going to rotate somebody else. Nobody says, if you have a complaint, file it here. We'll remove them, send them somewhere else. 
This local congregation selects its own pastor, appoints its own deacons. We watch, we see, and we appoint our own deacons. Determines its own worship forms. Nobody says you have to have a morning and evening service. Nobody says you have to sing three songs in your service. Nobody says take the offering up at this time. The local church will determine its own worship forms. The local church will then determine its own ministries. How are we going to carry out the mission that Christ has given us? What's that going to look like? Maybe it looks different here than it does 10 blocks away. We will determine our own ministries. We also oversee, raise, administer our own finances. Now, here's what that means. There's nobody going to bail us out. And so if we're not great stewards of God's money at Calvary Baptist Church, you know what, you can go to the account and the account can be empty. Nobody's going to bail us out. There's not some stack of gold somewhere in Nashville or, or in Italy or anywhere else that we can say, hey, we've messed up, run out of money if you'll send us a chunk of our gold. Uh, we oversee our money. We raise our money. We're stewards of our money, and, and we do it alone. I want to add something to that, and I think uh, Baptists have always believed this. I know they have. I know Baptists have paid dearly for this, but I think we've quit saying it, and I'm sure in the day we're living in, we better start saying it again. So let me say this. And in that vein... We believe the government has no authority over the local church. Jesus is our head. We believe the government has no, local, has no authority over the local church. Now listen, we seek to obey the laws of the land. Bible's clear into that. We give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Uh, we, we seek to honor and to obey the law of the land. But we are not, as a church, regulated by any government. They do not tell us when we can meet. They do not tell us how to meet. They do not tell us if we can meet. You say, well, why are you saying all that stuff? Let me just tell you this. Remember COVID. Here comes COVID. We don't, nobody knows what that is. It comes, it catches people off guard. We were meeting one Sunday morning here at Calvary Baptist Church. I got a call about 7 o'clock that Sunday morning, and I was told that there was a discussion, and the police were going to come to our church, and they were going to try to, to uh, talk us out of meeting or, or gathering as a church. Uh, they had somehow talked. That's what I was told. Uh, my hope was that they would come before the service, and we could talk it out uh, at that point. Uh, on that day, nothing happened here. And nobody came, nobody came in, nobody came to talk to us. But here, and I, I'll just tell you the story. Um, in Vernon, Texas, uh, there were two police officers that went to the Wood Street Baptist Church. And I hope this plays and I hope people hear it. They go to the Wood Street Baptist Church. They came into the morning service of their church. They came in during the sermon going on at that church. And they asked our friend, Brother Norris, to disassemble. Uh, he, he said he went to the back and he talked to him. And he told them this, either write me a ticket and leave or don't write me a ticket and leave. You leave. They left. Let me tell you this. That's the Baptist way. That's the Baptist way. We better remember that. 
No government tells us when to meet, how to meet. That leads to a bunch of crazy stuff, and we better teach our kids that. That is the Baptist way. For Baptists, each church is free and independent to operate and self-direct as it sees fit under the headship of Jesus Christ alone. Let me add to that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Each church is free and independent to operate and self-direct as it sees fit under the headship of Jesus Christ alone. All right, so that's, that's the autonomy of the local church. Now, you may be wondering something right here. So what about Baptist conventions? What about Baptist associations? Uh, it seems to be in conflict. Let me, let me explain that to you as well. That's a good question. Baptists do, however, have the option to participate in Baptist conventions and associations. Uh, those groups exist to serve local churches in resources and in mission cooperation. They, however, have no power or no say in its autonomous member churches. Let me say that again. Those groups exist to serve the church, to share resources, to share mission opportunities, but they have no power and no say over its autonomous member churches. All right, let me, let me be very specific. Let me explain some things to you. This local church, our local church, Calvary Baptist Church, we belong to the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention was formed in 1845. Uh, it was formed, you can go look at its history, again, for shared resources and predominantly for shared mission uh, cooperation. What one church could not do, many churches could uh, bind together and in cooperation they could do together. They could carry out together. Uh, from that, we had the Home Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, that has become the North American Mission Board. From that, we had the Foreign Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. That has now become the International Mission Board. Now, one of those is responsible for, for North American missionaries. The other was for missionaries in other countries. Uh, all of these churches, all these little churches together, uh, we would come together and we would finance full-time, a whole bunch of them, and part-time missionaries, hospitals, and other gospel-sharing entities. I remember being a kid a long time ago, and I would go with my grandparents two miles down a dirt road to Oak Union Baptist Church. I remember going to Oak Union Baptist Church. There's about 20 people there, 25 on Sunday morning. Uh, the attendants would go up when Granny and her nine grandkids would come in. Um, and that church, you know what they could never do? They could never afford to send a missionary anywhere. They could not afford to send a missionary anywhere. They might love to, but they couldn't. But you know what they could do? They could send money through the cooperative program, and that money would go for the financing of full-time, part-time uh, missionaries, hospitals, and other gospel-sharing entities. They were very proud uh, to participate in that way. Also under the Southern Baptist Convention, there was the Sunday School Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Their goal was to provide written Sunday School material, Bible study material to uh, the local churches. Now, they eventually became Lifeway Christian Resources or the Lifeway stores that we see now. Uh, the National Convention, the Southern Baptist Convention meets yearly to elect a president and other officers to set its agenda, its program, and priorities. They have offices in Nashville, Tennessee. 
Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention also oversees finances and runs the six uh, Southern Baptist seminaries with the purpose of preparing pastors, missionaries, and those uh, in ministry. All right, that's what the Southern Baptist that Convention does. That's the National Convention. Uh, we are a member of that convention. Let me just say this. You may be wondering. We have been participating less and less in the National Convention for 14 years now. Uh, pretty, pretty strong at the start of my pastorate here, uh, and then less and less since then. Uh, the reason is, and we can have a discussion about this, is because of inefficiencies in what they are doing, and predominantly this, a doctrinal difference and a creep to Reformed or Calvinistic ideology. Comes up every week, doesn't it? As they have embraced that, President of the North American Mission Board, President of the International Mission Board, Lifeway Christian Resources, as they have embraced that, it changes the activities and the methods that our national convention undertakes. We have been participating. We are a member, but we have participated less and less. In our state, the state of Texas, there are two state conventions. There is the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. It started in 1998 and a split from the other convention. Uh, the other convention is the Baptist General Convention of Texas. Uh, General Baptist actually means not Calvinistic. We're not particular in, in, in the, the salvation process. It is a general process. Uh, they have been renamed Texas Baptist. Uh, they started in 1886, and we are a member of them as well. Uh, they exist, both of the state conventions, for similar reasons uh, as the national to share resources and predominantly to share cooperative mission opportunities. All right, so those are the state conventions. We participate in one of those. Then there's the local Baptist association. Uh, I think before all of the others of these, uh, this was the first Baptist tradition. Uh, they go back, and if you want to read, know their history, they start in London in about 1600. Uh, there are, there's a number of Baptist churches that are springing up. Uh, as they have the opportunity and the freedom to, there's a number of Baptist churches growing at that time, and they would form regional unions. Uh, might be 10 churches, might be as many as 100 churches, some of them even larger than that. Uh, they had the same reason to encourage each other and for the shared mission. Uh, why this happened is they actually went to the pattern uh, that the military would follow. Uh, they would make military unions between these cities so that they could work together so they, they could raise an army in quick order. The Baptists said, hey, uh, we have a mission too. We have a shared project. We'll take that pattern uh, and use it as well. In Texas, there are many Baptist associations. Uh, we at Calvary Baptist Church, we belong to the Bifork Baptist Association uh, some of you may remember this far back. That's a combination of the Red Fork uh, Baptist Association and the Salt Fork Baptist Association. As those were shrinking, they combined into the Bifork uh, Baptist Association. The goal there is also the same, shared resources and a shared uh, mission. We want to be sure and say this. All of those groups, national, state, regional, and local, uh, membership is voluntary Participation is voluntary, and they have no authority or say over the autonomous local church. Southern Baptist president can't say anything, can't dictate anything to our local church. 
All of those have no authority over our local church. Now, that's what we believe. That is the third distinctive, and, and I want to bring it down to this. All of that to say this. God has established Calvary Baptist Church in Vernon, Texas, and he sees this church, and he knows this church. Uh, he cares about this church. He has a purpose for this church. Now, it may, be, it may look different in, in, in application than other churches, but he has a purpose for this church. His purpose is that we'd bring glory to him, that we'd lead people to Jesus Christ, that we would make disciples and grow disciples who then would again start the process to lead people to Christ, bring glory to Christ, and make more disciples. Now, that is our purpose. Now, here's, here's what I want to say tonight as we wrap this up. And in these years, here we sit, here we are, and in these years, he has given us the stewardship over it. Not, not just the pastor, the membership as well. In these years, he knows this church. He has a purpose for this church, and he has given us a stewardship over it. I want to say this, and I get excited about this. Do you know we have the same potential to serve his purpose as did the church in Ephesus? We have the same potential as did the church in Philippi. We have the same potential of any other church. And we, we have the opportunity to be found faithful, serving Christ when he comes again. You know that, that crazy little church in Vernon, Texas? They upheld the truth of God's word. They wouldn't set it down. They knew the world would perish outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as much as any church that's ever existed, we have the same potential to fulfill our purpose. Here's what it's going to take. It's almost going to turn into a different sermon. Here's what it's going to take. People to say, count me in. Count me in, dadgummit. Count me in. I will serve the local church. I will participate in the local church. I will pray for the local church. I will serve and minister out of the local church to the glory of Jesus Christ. It's going to take people to say, you know what? This rotten world's not going anywhere. God's placed me in this local church. And man, I'm going to serve in this local church to the glory of God to make disciples who make disciples. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight. I pray that we've learned about what we do and why we do it. I pray that it lines up with your word. I pray if it doesn't, that we would, we would turn from it, that we'd be convicted and walk away from it. I pray that we, we approach this with humility, but I also pray that we approach it with commitment and urgency and passion. And Lord, I, I know as, as the day draws near for you to come again, I know that there are hurting people all around us and lost people all around us, and hopeless people all around us. And I pray for a church that's consumed with it, that's passionate about it, and that will stand and say, there is hope in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm thankful for where you've placed us right now. I, I pray, Lord, that you multiply the effort, that you empower the effort, that you're glorified through the effort, that you're known through the effort. I pray that we, we raise up little kids uh, that turn into adults. If you haven't come again, uh, that are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we come and we thank you for that. We praise you for the church that you bless us with and through and in. I pray that we're found faithful. Lord, we come and we close out this Lord's Day, uh, the week of Thanksgiving. We tell you every good thing uh, is from you. Every great blessing is from you. The fact that we woke up today with a new day, with a, with a God with grace that, that's, that's abundant, 
we praise and we thank you for that. And so we just come and I pray as we head in this week that we would be thankful for the little things, for the big things. Uh, and, and we'd be thankful most of all for a Savior in Jesus, uh, a hope, a friend, a rock, a fortress, uh, a king. And so we praise you for Jesus. Lord, I, again, we just come and open our hands and tell you we love you tonight. We worship you and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.